Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you've got your Bibles, uh, Micah, Micah chapter 4, and we're going to dive into verse 1 in just a, just a bit. Uh, last, last weekend was Aggie Ring Weekend. So any, any Aggies get their, get their rings this past weekend? Yeah, that's right. You're blinding me over here, okay? Uh, I, I see it. I see it. Uh, I loved, I love seeing all the pictures online uh, of, of the students. Uh, I uh, loved even watching the story of one of our own, uh, Lily Rivers, who was featured uh, by A&M uh, in her kind of in- incredible journey of getting her ring. And it dawned on me. So first of all, uh, I-, I, don't, I don't preach with my Aggie ring uh, because I use my hands a lot. And like after about 75,000 times of smacking a podium, uh, I-, I just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to not sport it while, while preaching. Uh, but it dawned on me uh, over the weekend that my my Aggie ring uh, is is now officially two decades old, <laughs> which just means I'm old. Uh, and so so my my ring I don't have it on me, but it, like all the original edges are, are kind of like polished off now, and they're looking rounded and worn. Uh, but it is a special thing to walk into this association and, and to get and to get that that ring, and it represents it represents a lot of things for students who who have gone to Texas A and M. But here's the thing: you can't you can't just stroll in uh, and and demand a ring. You can't just stroll in and put it on. There there are there are requirements, and, and, and so you you need. 90 completed hours. Uh, you need 45 Aggie hours. You need, you need a 2.0. Some of you guys are like, 2.1, check. Um, there's no shortcuts. And, and, and you could really desire the ring. Uh, you, you, could, you can even feel like you're entitled to the ring. Uh, but the thing is, if you're transferring from uh, like Waxahachie Community College and, and you have 27 collegiate hours and you're rocking like a 1.3 GPR, uh, you don't meet the requirements. You don't meet the requirements. If you want the, if you want the ring, uh, you've got to recognize the requirements. Restoration fam, when it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, we've got to recognize the requirements. See, restoration, one of our, one of our five core values is the value of relational discipleship. If you, 
pretty much every church, every Christian church on the planet, if you get on their website, they're going to they're gonna say like that they, their mission is to make disciples of Jesus. Uh, I mean, in fact, if it's not on there, like probably run from that church. But, but every church says they're about it. And, and I think most, they have the, the best of intentions. But, but the issue in the American church is this. Why, why do so few, why do so few professing followers of Jesus actually emulate and embody the character of the Savior they say they follow? That's a problem. See, it's not, it's, not just about, it's not just about church attendance. It's not just about going through the religious motions. It's not just about like having all the theological knowledge. And it's not about your Spotify list being, uh, you know, having all the, the latest uh, worship favorites. A disciple of Jesus is somebody who is actually following the biblical Jesus. Amen. It's somebody whose heart is being transformed by Jesus, and it's also somebody, a disciple is somebody who is committed to the mission of Jesus. And so here's the question, church, do you you recognize the the requirements of following Jesus, or are you you following him on on your own terms? This, this, This evening... Almost said morning, it's evening. <laughs> Through Micah 4, here's, here's what we see. Through Micah 4, we see a future vision of Jesus reigning, of Jesus reigning, of the, the nations coming. And it's kind of this cool picture. And they're, they're literally being discipled by Jesus. But I'll say this, the call of Jesus uh, is to disciple here and now as well. But the question is, church, are, like, are we really about that? Are we, are we really about it? And so I want to read, I want to start with the first five verses. I'm going to read it in just a bit, but let me, let me build out a little bit of context, okay? So Micah 4, this is a prophecy of Micah. Uh, in Micah, if you look at, look at verse 1, he points to the latter days. He points to the latter days. And multiple times, he speaks of Mount Zion. He speaks of Jerusalem. He speaks of the mountain of the Lord. And if you look at verse 1, I, I, I believe it's it's pretty clear he's not talking about like literal height uh, because after all the, the the temple mount was only about 2400 feet above sea level he's talking about supremacy he's talking about the supremacy of Jesus he's talking about the the kingdom of God but even here there 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 are different views of what Micah is referencing so so uh, for example, and if these terms don't mean anything to you, that's okay. But if you're, if you're kind of in the covenant camp of theology and, and Israel has, has replaced the church, you see the reign of Christ through the church and then not necessarily a, a literal fulfillment in Jerusalem. Or, you, you know, some what they, they see here is they, they see a future picture of, of Jesus' eternal reign as he gloriously returns to earth. And, and uh, Daniel Timmer says this, chapter four, be, it begins at a high point in the distant future, focusing 
on a radically transformed Zion to which the nations flow and where God's reign, Yahweh's reign, is fully established over both Israel and, and not Israelites and non-Israelites. And so I want to I wanna jump into the text. Uh, I want to look at the first five verses and dive into our first point. It says this, as Lily just read, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills. People shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken for all the peoples walk in each in, in each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever. As you look at verse one through five, here, here's, here's what I want to say. The first discipleship requirement is this discipleship requires the word and the walk. Discipleship requires the word and the walk. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him the word and the walk. Look at your other neighbor, tell him the word and the walk. So, so Micah 4, if, if y'all remember from last Sunday, and I know last Sunday morning was a long time ago, but Micah 3, this is a sharp contrast with Micah 3. See, Micah 3 was like this scathing rebuke of the leaders of Israel and how they had failed to represent God. But Micah 4, man, the picture is hopeful, right? It's one of hope and rejoicing. The picture is one of the nations. Check this out. Many people voluntarily ascending to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. Now, now uh, I, the, one of the beautiful parts of being uh, at Restoration Church, Brian, is uh, we, as a non-denominational church, we draw folks from all, all different viewpoints with their theology of the kingdom. And so uh, I, I mentioned a moment ago, uh, my covenant brothers, how they might see this passage. I, personally, for me, I, I lean more toward a literal millennial kingdom of Christ. I, I, if you want to jot down these two passages, I, I see great continuity between Isaiah 25, 21 and 22, and Revelation 21 and 2. The, the imagery in those passages, the language, the, the activity of what's taking place. And here's the other thing. I, I, don't, I don't think, if you look at Micah 4.3, I don't think you can just gloss over Micah 4.3 that Jesus is judging between many people and he shall decide disputes for nations far 
away. See, though, though there is this complete cessation of war, this isn't, this isn't exactly the picture of, of the eternal state of the new heaven and the new earth. It's, it's a picture of a world that still got some brokenness to it because Jesus is deciding disputes and he's, he's judging over the nation, the nations. But contrasted with Micah 3, Jesus is judge and decision maker. And the nations come, check this out, they come to know his word. And they come to Jesus to, to know how to, how to follow him, how to walk in his ways. And so all that to say, I, like, I, I would argue it, 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 in this sense, it doesn't really matter what your end times view of the kingdom is, that your, your sort of eschatological view, one of the primary functions of the church right now is to keep the Bible as the foundation piece for knowing and following God. Amen? Like the Bible has got to be front and center. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We just, we just talked about this at our real life discipleship class today. Part of the great commission when Jesus said, hey, as you're going, make disciples. He said, teach them everything that I have commanded. Like this it's not optional. And so the, the role of the church is to make disciples and to share the message of the king and his kingdom. And after all, like that's where Micah 4 says all of this is going. All of this is leading to Jesus reigning. That's where we're headed. And so, so I love the picture. Uh, Steph and I, we, we have, one of the things on our bucket list is, is to go uh, to the, the Holy Land. I, I don't know, has anybody ever been to, to Jerusalem, traveled, uh, anybody? We've got a couple, a few people. So, so that's, that's like on our bucket list. At some point, we want to go. But what a thought. Like you think about all the, the thousands or hundreds of thousands of tourists who, who might make their way to Jerusalem every year to sightsee. And like they, they come back and they've got, they've got like the, the wood-carved nativity set that's made from like Jerusalem olive wood. And, you know, they're like so excited and they've, you know, it's like we were in a little market, you know, outside of the city and we found this a great deal and you turn it over, it's like made in China. Um, no, so the picture, the picture of Micah 4 though, check this out. It's the world coming to Jerusalem, not not just to loiter in an ancient place, but to learn from the ancient of days. To learn straight from the mouth of Jesus and to hear his teaching. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So church, here, here's what I want to say. Discipleship movements, uh, discipleship movements not built on the foundation of Scripture are ultimately movements of man, not God. So, so like if it's going down and you're going, oh man, God's at work over here and the, the Bible is not at the forefront, man, that's not of God. Discipleship movements that are not built on the foundation of Scripture are, are, are man-made movements. And so I want you to capture the importance of this passage. So, so 
what Micah 4 is talking about is that, listen, the teachings of Jesus in this time, the, the word of the Lord, man, it is central. But the goal, the goal is not to just post up in, in the Bible study class, right? It's not, it's not just to post up in Bible study so we can, act, uh, we can wax eloquent with all of our like, theological knowledge, right? So we can get geeked out on theology. Verse 2 says, it's for a specific purpose. We, we, we listen to the word of Jesus so that we may walk in his paths. David Pryor says this, ways and paths speak of God's own pattern of living and the lifestyle he intends for his people to follow. And so even verse 5 reveals that even though uh, others around them were walking in the name of their gods, they said, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God. So, so check this out. The goal, the goal is to follow. If you're a disciple, man, the goal is to follow Jesus so closely that, that your life becomes aligned with the life of Jesus. It becomes aligned with his, right? His, his heart, his desires, his humility, his mission, his holiness and purity. But here's what we're doing. We're, what we do is we, we, we start cherry picking the, the verses of the Bible that, that make us feel good while, while ignoring the parts of the Bible that we don't want to obey. Like, and and I, like, I, don't, I don't get that because some, some folks are like, man, I, I follow Jesus. I, you know, he, he died for my sin and he rose and I follow him. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, how, how do you know that? Well, it's scripture. But over here where the scripture says this and says to do that, like, I know, uh, no, I, I'll, I'll leave that out. Obedience is optional over there. Or, or, or like, how about this? Like a good, like a good, uh, they were called Gnostics in the first century. We like, we walk around and we act like we're so enlightened today, right? Like, like we have a better understanding of the Greek, right? <laughs> like, let's just think about that for a minute. Uh, Koine Greek, which is a dead language, we, we've got a better understanding of the Greek than the guys who wrote it 2,000 years ago. Right? Okay, that makes sense. We like we walk around like, man, we have a better, newer knowledge about man and about sociology and psychology and biology that that Moses and Paul and Luke and all the other writers were apparently oblivious about when when they wrote, that's right, the word of God. The inspired, inerrant authoritative word of God. So, so let's just, let's just call it, let's just call it what it is. We, we think we know better than God. And it breaks my heart because I see this in churches all around where we're taking human reasoning, we're taking our reasoning in our lost, broken cultural context that has now become the lens uh, for interpreting and applying the Bible. Church, that's, that's, that's backwards for Christians. A, a biblical worldview, Christian, means this. A biblical worldview means you process everything first through the lens of the, of the Bible, of Scripture. And so 
whether you're talking about Rob Bell or whether you're talking about uh, Joshua Harris or some of these other Christian pastors and celebrities and, and leaders who have either stepped off of the Bible or they've, they've become universalists or they've, uh, man, they've, they've walked away from the faith entirely. It all starts at the same place. You go all the way back to Genesis 3 and you've got Satan going, hey, did God really say did God really say this? Church, it starts with stepping off of the word of God. And, and the, the, I'm, I say this because the American church, like we, we just continually fall for the same kind of recycled satanic nonsense. Like, man, I, like how many, you've heard that, like, I've got a new understanding, right? I, hey, uh, Believe it or not, man, we have misunderstood this view that, that's, keep in mind, has been orthodox for like 2,000 years, that every Christian up until us has believed and held too firmly, but it's like, oh man, we've got a new understanding. We've got, we've had it all wrong for 2,000 years. Here's the, here's the real truth. Or, or my, my personal favorite, man, like I've, I've deconstructed my, my faith and now like I'm, I'm really free and I'm, I'm so enlightened with this new spiritual truth, this new spiritual perspective. And then we're, and it all starts with, man, would God really say, would God really say that? Like if God, if God really loved us, like would, would that be in the Bible? Would, would, would he act this way? Church, we got to wake up. Y'all with me? Like we, we've got to wake up. It's the same, like Satan is crafty, but he's not super original. It's the same temptation from Genesis 3. It's the same temptation from back in the beginning. And here's the question. Do you take God at his word? Do you take God at his word? Like God, like if this is the word, if God has revealed himself through the Bible, like God's word will not submit or acquiesce to you. Like you, what, what, what I have to do, what, what you have to do is you, you submit your life. I submit my life under the word. So, so God has chosen to reveal himself through scripture. And, and we've said this before, scripture is not the end, but it is the primary means by which we know and follow Jesus. And so I'll just say this. You, you say you follow Jesus. Oh, okay, but if you've forsaken the word, you've already forfeited the walk. You say you follow Jesus, but, but if, you've, if you've forsaken the word, you've already forfeited the walk. But, but conversely, I'd say this. If you embrace the word of Jesus, then your life will emulate the walk of Jesus. And when others see you, man, they're saying, man, I, I think I'm just getting a little, a little glimpse of the king. I'm getting a little glimpse of the kingdom. But if you, you got to embrace the word if you're going to emulate the walk. Second thing. Second thing this evening is we look at verse six and seven. And I'll go ahead and give you the point and then we'll read the, the, the verses Discipleship requires a limp. Discipleship requires a, a limp. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him limp required. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and tell him limp required. 
Verse 6 says this. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away, those whom I have afflicted. In the lame, I will make the remnant. In those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. See, discipleship requires a, a limp. Verse 6 says, in that day... Again, it's a picture of a future day where God re- restores and, and gathers his people. And he says, I, I will assemble the lame. Many, many see this as a, if you know your Old Testament history, many see this as a veiled reference to Jacob. You think about Jacob, who before Jacob was given his new name of Israel, dude wrestled with God and he lost. He wrestled with God at Peniel and he walked away with a limp. And ultimately, it's because Jacob, the deceiver, man, he had to be humbled. He, he had to be stripped of his self-confidence and his self-reliance. He had to come to the end of himself. And so in the same way, historically with Micah, already you'd had Samaria was hauled off, had been hauled off into captivity. They'd been overtaken by the Assyrians. And then Judah, the southern tribes of Judah, they were about to be wiped out by the Babylonians. Babylon was about to come in and take them into captivity. And so nationally proud, uh, idol worshiping, uh, justice ignoring, grace presuming Israel was about to learn just like their forefather Israel, that you don't walk away from a wrestling match with God without a limp. And so what they, what they, wouldn't av- what, what they couldn't avoid was God's discipline. Israel couldn't av- avoid God's discipline for disobedience. However, verse 6, if you look at verse 6, it points to this future of sort of reassembling where God would gather his people. He'd gather the lame, those driven away, and those whom, whom, check this out, God himself had brought affliction because of their rebellion to get their attention. It says, verse 7 says, the lame, I will make the remnant. I like how Daniel Timmer puts it. He says, the lame, their, their, their metaphorical disability implies their inability to transform themselves into the people of God. Y'all catch that? Like, they, they could not transform themselves into the people that God had called them to be. Church, don't, don't miss it. Before, before Israel could be redeemed, before they could be restored, their rebellion had to be dealt with. Man, like, what a, what a gospel picture, y'all. Except instead of us bearing the consequences for our sin, man, it was Jesus who took the beating. It, it, was, it was Jesus who, who went to the cross and was crucified for our sin. Man, wow. And, and, and I want to I make, make a statement that it might, it might unnerve some, but, but it's important. Listen, if you, if you haven't wrestled with God and lost I don't know if you're following Jesus. Let me say that again. If you haven't wrestled with God and lost, I don't know if you're following Jesus because discipleship requires a limb. It's not, it's not just about mental assent to the facts about Jesus. Like The demons know the facts about Jesus. It's about coming to the end of yourself and, and realizing that you're 
Your sin separates you from a, from a holy God, but it's also not just that. It's realizing that on your best day, on your best day, Isaiah 64, 6 says that our, even our righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God who created us for perfection. He created us for a perfect relationship with him. And Ro- Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. In the Greek, that word all, it means, it means all. <laughs> and, and you can't follow Jesus until you, you, you take ownership of falling short. Let me say that again. You, you can't follow Jesus until you take ownership of falling short. You can't accept, you can't accept the life that, that he offers until you accept the, the limp from wrestling with him and coming to the end of yourself. And it means this, it means that it means that pride gets eliminated in the life of the disciple. One, one of our, our favorite things to do with the boys is, is uh, sometimes we cruise around the neighborhood and I, I've got Luke and Levi and Titus in the car. Today was Levi and he actually like un, unprompted by me, asked if we could listen to this song, but, but uh, we, we, we like to uh, bump some Shylin, a uh, Christian hip-hop artist, and, uh, uh, you know, the Silver Bullet, the Nissan Rogue, uh, the stock sound system is not stellar, I'll give you that, uh, but, but they're, they're, without a doubt, their favorite Shylin uh, jam is I'm Hot. Uh, it's literally a song called I'm Hot. It's basically a a, a song that just makes fun of, of uh, pride, <laughs> pokes fun at the pride of man, but especially like it, it's, it's really meant to poke fun at the pride of like Christian hip hop rap, you know, artists who they, they, they're like supposed to be living for the glory of Jesus, but they're telling you how awesome they are and how great their flow is. I'm not sure how that works. But our, our favorite line in Shylin's I'm Hot is where he says, uh, he says this. He says, some people can't stand me for the bragging that I do, but I'm asking you, is it really bragging if it's true? Uh, I got so many haters. Uh, I got so many haters. I don't know who you are. Better recognize the true superstar. Yeah, uh, there's other stars, but for real, I'm the only one. I'm on fire. I got my own emoji, son. Uh, <laughs> in the chorus... You're like, I'm going to go look that up now. The chorus, it goes on, and it basically talks about how hot he is and how, how no, he's on fire and nobody, nobody can come close to him. But, but the third verse, things take a twist, and he talks about when his self-perceived glory got eclipsed by the glory of Jesus. And he talks about when, when he got eclipsed by the glory of Jesus, he says, bragging cease from my lips. And he, and he talks about being, being humbled before a holy God in church, whether Shalin uh, would put it this way or not, he's talking about the disciples limp, okay? And so here, here's, the, here's the question, Christian, Christian, where is your confidence, where is your confidence? Where is your strength? Is, is, is it in Christ or is it in you? Because if, 
If Christianity is all about you, man, you're missing, you're missing the biblical mark. And if, if Christianity is still, if it's still all about you, man, if that's the case, you, you may be in here and you, you may even be making disciples, but odds are, man, what you're reproducing is you're reproducing that same self-centeredness in the others, that, uh, those that you're pouring into. Listen, if you've, if you've encountered Christ, you, you, you should be walking with a limp right now. Like, but, but listen, it's a good thing. You should say, yeah, like, man, I'm broken. Like, I, I, I was broken, but that's why I need Jesus. Amen? Like, that's, that's why He saved me. That's why I've trusted Him. So we walk with a limb. You, listen, if, if you're following Jesus, you, you should have already wrestled with God. You should have taken the L and received Christ's victory in your place. And so the simplest way that I know to put it is like no, no limp, no new life. Right? No limp, no new life. Third thing, and then we're done. As we look at the end of verse 7, it says this, The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Third, third requirement is this. Discipleship requires a king. Discipleship requires a king. I, I want you to look at your neighbor tell him, King Jesus. Look at your other neighbor tell him, King Jesus. So verse 7 ends with a clear picture of Christ reigning in Zion forever. And so church, uh, listen, long, long, before, uh, long before Kanye said Jesus is king, uh, the apostle John already said it. So Kanye's like borrowing material, right? It's not, it's not even original. The apostle John said this in Revelation 19. Listen to this picture. Then I saw heaven opened Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. This is the same John the apostle who wrote John 1. In the armies of heaven, verse 14, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, that, that's probably not a super popular picture about the reign and the kingship of Jesus when he returns. The lamb, the lamb of God, now the lion of Judah who's come to judge the earth. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2. He says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So years ago, I, I, I had a conversation with my friend Henry. I had this, this convo with, with my friend Henry in, in, in our, our, about worship in our small group. We were in our missional community group. 
And, 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 I, and I think so much of the American struggle with, with being too casual in our worship is that we, we have no experiential connection with, with, a, with a monarchy, right? Like, no, like, so for us, like, we're, we're, we, we know democracy. Like, we, we vote. We're, we're accustomed to our leaders. Uh, they, they're supposed to work for us. So we, we have a, a part of why we have a, a balance of power is to counterbalance man's depravity. Like, that's a good thing. But what we're not accustomed to is a sovereign who has dominion over us. We're not used to that. My friend Henry, he told me this. He said in, in Zambia, where he was from, he said in, in, in Zambia, when the king approaches, like you don't, you don't just roll up to the king. Like, What's up, king? <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't just look him in the eye. He said, no, like you don't, you don't even approach the king on your terms. Like you bow and you, you prostrate yourself before the king and it's required where he's from to, to honor the king. And it's the same with discipleship. If you follow Jesus, kingship is required. If you follow Jesus, kingship is, his kingship is required. That, that means this. It means if Jesus is not on the throne of your life and heart, like you, you can't reproduce that in others, right? Like you're trying to make disciples, you, like you're not going to reproduce that in others. If, if, if the mission and obedience to Jesus is optional for you, it's going to be optional for those that you're pouring into. And Christian, listen. Go back to Philippians 2. Christ is exalted. His, his name is above every name. Every knee is going to bow in, every, on, on he, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if that, like, that's where we're headed, Christian might, like, might as well make him Lord now. Now, I, I'll, close, I'll close with this. I'll close with this. Because if you're looking at Micah 4 and you're looking, you're looking at this future picture and you're going, okay, like I see it, Christ reigning, the nation's coming, they, they, they're, they're under the word of Christ, right? Uh, they're, they're walking with a limp uh, and, and he's king. So, so like, okay, for, for us, what does that mean? Like what now? Like Christian, where, where, where are you? Maybe, maybe you've stepped off of the word. Maybe you've stepped off of the word and, and, and you're like, listen, and, and I just want to lovingly, but, but also I want to challenge you, like, come, come back. Come back because it's such a, a slippery slope. Once you step off the Bible in one area, man, it's a slippery slope before you just step, start stepping off more and more and more areas. And so many, ultimately, that's how they make shipwreck of their faith and abandon the faith altogether. So maybe, maybe you've begun to step off the Bible. Maybe, maybe you've been puffed up with pride. Or maybe you've been trying to keep the king's crown on your own head. First thing I want to say is, don't, don't, if that's you, don't, don't despair because we've been singing about a gracious God, a loving God who is steadfast and faithful. Amen. But here's, here's what I would say. You got to decide. 
Like, are you, are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to follow the Jesus of the Bible? Are you going to allow Jesus to transform your heart? Are you, are you going to commit to the mission of Jesus? See, a lot of people, they want the kingdom. They just don't want the king. We're down here talking about the kingdom, but we don't, we've rejected the king because you don't, you don't get the kingdom without King Jesus. And we can talk all day long because they have their place. We can talk all day long about politics and programs and people and all the things. But only Jesus can transform the hearts of sinners. That's it. And only Jesus can raise up the new creation. And only Jesus can usher in his kingdom. So church, our our job is to represent the heart of the king and to speak the message of the king. And, and that message is simple. We tell people, turn, turn away from your sin. Like that's not where life is. Turn away. Trust Jesus as Savior and, and sovereign over your life. Receive his forgiveness. Receive the salvation that only he can give. And follow him be a disciple, and then go and make disciples. Church, that's the mission. Amen? That is the mission of the church. Y'all pray with me tonight.